0: you. Mm-hmm. Actually, having a very special episode. We are discussing post work theory as it pertains to the next couple chapters that we will be covering in the bread book. Uh, I am today's host, Feilong Gecko, the United Anarchist of the group. Uh, Unfortunately, I am taking over for Khan because he is in Europe right now, uh, having a little bit of vacation. so who is who's everybody else that's here today? Are we are we all here? Are we alive? Are we
1: breathing?
2: I breathe fire. So I'm Zilla Caf, I'm uh, just, uh I
1: guess an egoist anarchist. Hello, I'm uh Carden and I'm a Tr-anarchist. I know I'm left leaning as hell <laughs> awesome. pro labor, but um that's gonna render out a little more gradually. I decided I'm not gonna act like I've got the answer to it quite yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so to kind of to kind of give us a brief introduction, we're actually doing post-work theory today um, as outlined by Jacob and Mag. Uh, they had a little article back in 2013 about it, and we might be, hi- we'll do a little bit of highlights from David Frayne and his refusal of work, um, the theory in practice of resistance to work. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit of a more casual episode than the previous ones, uh, mostly because it's just kind of to go kind of going into what it means
1: to oh be real we're doing filler this time (laughs) (laughs) this is totally filler
0: um though we we chose this topic mostly because it is directly pertaining to uh the next three chapters labeled food shelter and clothing if i'm not mistaken in the bread book which is what the next episode are we really
1: calling it the Um, bread book it is the bread book
0: it's always been called the bread book
1: book Wait, people have been calling... How many parties have I missing yeah. out on with this shit?
0: Anyways, um, I think Zulikath has a little bit of a detail about what what work is and how the post-Work theorists describe work.
2: I don't know about detail. I mean, it's a little bit vague uh, just at the outset, and they, they, they do spend some time trying to explain what they mean by it, but, uh, I mean, if it's anti-work, you have to understand what work even is, because... The way they use it, work doesn't mean labor. They're not anti-labor; they're anti-work, and that's a bit of a fuzzy distinction.
0: Well, yeah, because you have you have three types of r- labor: productive labor, reproductive labor, and sex work. While well, emotional labor, I guess, is the more is the more broad variant of that form of labor.
2: Oh, no, I think you can break it down a lot of different ways. That's one way to do it.
0: Basically, the the idea of work is not necessarily. The, the labor is still in you know, farming and you know, generating clothes and building houses and things like that but a very specific form of labor that um, a lot of people in the recent recent era have actually described as useless work.
2: Or bullshit jobs, I like that one. Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's like a very precise consensus in post-work theory about what work is. I think there's like room for a diversity of opinion there and room for different analyses to say different things about it. Uh, Like when I was reading the uh, Bob Black uh, uh, article on it, he was basically saying that it's just, if you're not playing when you're being productive, then it's work, is one way to kind of summarize
1: what he was saying about it. And I don't work because I fucking love this commission shit. Hmm,
0: yeah. Our, Our artistic labor is definitely... Not something that people simply do for the money. They they often do it as the as an emotional thing. And I think the biggest the biggest part of bullshit jobs would be middle management. You know the managers of the managers that report to other managers.
1: Well, it's a weird thing with that whole middle management thing because in order to mitigate that fact, and not even mitigate the fact itself, but mitigate people pointing out that fact, they've essentially resorted to having the managers every so often pop into the store to do some you know real work as it were
0: yeah basically contributing contributing productively to kind of be like oh yeah i do work too yeah
1: but it's like it's really obvious that they're only doing it for the sake of being able to say well i get this done too um Mm
0: -hmm. one of of the biggest things that i've noticed that is the culprit of is um is regional directors people who are like they're managers of stores of well, multiple stores but all they really do is come in and be like hey is everything running smoothly oh well here's a couple of ideas to help it run a little smoother
2: uh and
0: when they're there and especially i at one of my jobs the the regional directors they don't really like do work they kind of just like oh this needs to get done you need to get this done and they kind of in a sense they're throwing a wrench into the system thinking they're fixing it god i hate that when in fact yeah, when in fact the major thing that they're doing is, you know, making making things worse by thinking they're making it better, and when they're writing when they're writing reports to their managers because of course they have managers all the way up to the CEOs of these companies, especially for multinational companies.
2: Yeah, there is actually this uh, this funny thing about hierarchy is that uh, information that flows up the hierarchy gets corrupted by each individual in the hierarchy trying to be self serving. And the commands that come down from the top are corrupted by people who know better because they gave the bad information to the people above them. So the actual leadership or the, the whoever's in charge of the organization can live in a world of complete fiction.
1: Oh, and almost demand to do so because they want the profits, but none of the consequences to flow upstairs. Mm-hmm.
0: And we actually saw this recently at one of my other jobs where... We, we had been severely understaffed for months and it wasn't until the CEO and the vice president of the company had actually come into the store and actually observed what was happening that they were like oh no that like, this can't be okay we, ha- we have to change this
1: it's like it ha- there's those sort of things keep that happened at um well my first job was a uh, gas station um, customer service representative CSR and we were doing pretty good with the pumps with you know, we implemented a new policy that, you know, avoided more um, drive-offs with our gas. And regional manager comes in and is like, oh, hey, okay, so your drive-off numbers are down. So I guess we, we're just going to relax it and make all the uh, pumps pump and pay. And I remember, like, raising my hand in that meeting. And I was like, Kara Thrace, that's a stupid fracking idea. And he's like, why? He's like, we're going to have drive-offs, like, crazy now. He's like, no, you're not. A month goes by, and we've had, like, twice as many drives, drive-offs as before we made the adjustment. And he comes in, he, he, he puts in a meeting, and he's mad. He wants to know, he's like, why well, we got so many drive-offs? I'm sitting here, he's like, well, you hardly fucking work here, so you probably wouldn't understand why we have drive-offs in those rear pumps. But you just demanded that we open the door and then walked away expecting everything to be fine. Expecting everybody
2: else to take responsibility for it too. What a
1: scumbag! Well, I'm just sitting here. Was like, well, we can, in order to prevent drive-offs, we, you know, manually survey vehicles that because we don't have a security screen like at um. What's it called? The the one those holiday has uh, security screens right there. In the uh, register area, we don't have that at the registers, so we're doing it with a Mark 1 eyeball and with two three people we can look at maybe three cars and that's uh that's most of the front row with the back row being completely invisible but yeah long story short middle management doesn't fucking know what the hell the rest of the workforce is doing so
0: to kind of go back to the the definition of labor uh, the the biggest thing that they that the post-work movement is kind of against is this whole um Productive labor, not necessarily in terms of creating things that are necessary, but creating things that aren't necessarily needed, but people buy anyways. Um, we're talking like the luxury items for the most part that the the, the bourgeois and the rich kind of buy the, the really extravagant dresses, the really extravagant foods, the the things that aren't necessarily there to uh better people's lives in a meaningful way but kind of cover up the fact that their lives are meaningless and
1: filled with dread. There is that but there's also like actual scientific evidence that humans do benefit um mentally from the presence of beauty.
0: Well but we're not talking about getting rid of art per se right we're not talking about getting rid of beautiful things but more like getting rid of useless things um Say, for example, the automobile is considered a very useless thing because we're generating a lot of this extra work to build roads where we could just build our communities more tightly knit and more close together. And not only would we lessen our ecological impact, but we would also have entire systems that would be necessarily abolished with the abolition of you know long drive times
2: it does definitely impose a bunch of uh, costs on people who have to commute to work
1: i feel like the automobile might be slightly indispensable in modern society or contemporary society
2: it's not about the era it's more about the way that history panned out and the way that things were built out like we they, we were way over invested in like a highway system and way under invested in rail at least in the u.s that's
1: true yeah, without the ability to travel long distance and, and having to build our communities closer together, we'd probably end up with a greater ecological impact as we fill the void between cities with more cities. Suddenly, Vivisector gets to turn all the national forests into a parking garage. That's from Furry Force.
0: Well, and, and that's actually a thing, you know. They're, the, they're, I can't believe I'm actually going to reference this, but the... what that song you know turned paradise into a parking lot it's kind of that same idea and basically getting rid of you know natural beauty for things that aren't necessarily necessarily necessary
1: well that was a fucking mouthful all right it's recursive too
0: yeah um but is deemed as necessary because of the way that we have structured our current society like if we had ended up structuring our current society in a manner where communities were more tight-knit and we had rail systems or public buses going to and from the communities then not everybody would be owning a car and we wouldn't have these sprawling campuses of parking lots alone
1: bikes would be fucking popular and i'm thinking mm-hmm. of like the bike equivalent to a uh, parking garage or a parking lot and you can fit so many fucking bikes
0: They actually have a lot, they actually have those in a lot of the uh, larger cities in Europe, um, where you basically, I don't even know know if you necessarily had to pay a fee, because I can't really remember, I think some did, but most of them didn't, where you just, you park, you lock your bike in, and you, you go on your way into the community.
1: I'm just like imagining the dude wears my car situation, not the movie, but the walking into a parking garage. But with the density of, like... Because you've seen how close people can lock their bikes up together. So, like, with that density, and I can't find my fucking bike. Cheers.
0: Yeah, you're taking, you are taking you know, a complex that would take, you know, three or four acres of land and squishing it down into, you know, four or five hundred square feet.
1: No, I mean, there's the issue of passengers. Not everybody can ride, et cetera, et cetera, but... You know, we can have uh, trikes with the thing. Or, you know, and hell, motorized bikes, I've been informed those are called motorcycles, can also supplant mm-hmm. the uh, cars quite nicely. Um, but I do think the car climbs above them in terms of safety, but that's also usually assuming the presence of other cars.
0: Mm-hmm. So we kind of go went off on a tangent here, so let's bring it back to the, this post-work theory, which... The the biggest thing that they're discussing in post-work theory is uh, three big pillars: um, automation, uh, lowering lowering the necessarily au- necessary hours of work a week, and opening up leisure time in by bringing up breaking down those hours. You know, kind of like unions have been doing for decades.
1: So you're talking about fully automated luxury gay space communism.
0: Uh, in it's more of like the transition to fully automated luxury gay space communism.
1: Mostly automated luxury gay space communism. Yeah, because
0: because 'cause kinda like how we, we were mentioning in our defini- in the definition of work, they don't necessarily want to get rid of labor, right? They just want to get rid of the unnecessary work. The you know the sixty hours a week jobs that, you know, all you're doing is just plugging numbers into a computer to make capitalists look look good, right? Right. Because in a system where profit is maximized, what's the point in, you know, having spreadsheets of numbers that are telling you how much profit you're making?
1: Would that necessarily, um, wouldn't ne- would that necessarily uh, eliminate sports ball labor, or would we probably still have that?
2: Well, that's definitely playful
1: labor. All right. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I, I consider it playful labor. I, like, well, I didn't
1: finish the whole article, so. Ah. I, was, I I thought that was a thing to bring up because again society might not uh, be too pleased at the potential loss of an NBA. I mean, I, I've always been kind of wondering like why
2: it's why professional sports is so popular when these are very accessible sports for most people to play. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, if you're take if you're not taking. If' not working so hard that you don't even want to expend the effort to play basketball you you just want to play basketball and actually enjoy it instead at least more than you would otherwise if you're being overworked
1: well um I don't quite understand spectator sports either i
0: well I think a good analog would be um you, you see a lot of people complaining about children watching other children play toy- play with toys and you know, people are like, oh, why are you watching speedruns? Or people, other people play video games. don't well, you just play the video game. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that is brought up to me that I've heard is that uh, a lot of these kids don't, their parents can't afford those toys. So they have to watch other kids play with them. Or in the case of video games, you know, you're watching people perform at a level that you can't necessarily perform at. Because they've been doing it their entire lives, because they've had the time and they've had the, the resources, or for at least for speedruns, or in the case of a lot of really expensive games, you're watching people play these games because you want to experience the game as a as a medium that brings a story across, but you don't necessarily have the funds or the time to invest in it yourself.
2: Sure, I'm not saying there's like no reason for it, but it just seems like... Most of the people who are interested in like professional sports have the
1: means available to just play those sports. And here's the big thing no, is true. it's also a motivational thing with some people. like they can um it, it can motivate them to you know do these things and try to get to that level, whether or not they actually can.
2: But that's still like a small fraction of the people who are interested in professional sports who just don't play them on their own.
1: It makes, I guess, the hopeless situation that is our lives a little more, uh, seem a little less hopeless. And
2: I think uh, like in a post-work world, you wouldn't have as much of that. And there wouldn't be as like, I'm sure there might still be some semblance of pro sports, but I don't think it would look anything like it does today, where you're just hiring a bunch of people to work to maintain the stadium so that you can get Thousands of people into watch one game.
0: It would be a multi-billion-dollar industry, where people are literally throwing money at the system just to kind of see if it see if it can keep going. Yeah. Um. So I do I do kind of want to talk about you know the David Frain talks about the colonizing power of work and how you know work the 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 useless labor is necessarily trying to colonize the leisure time of people instead of you know having having people raise wages you find you find work for them to do you make up bullshit jobs so people have to continue working
1: if you got time to lean you've got time to clean
0: Mm-hmm. that's the biggest biggest thing you hear in retail and in food service
1: well food service it makes sense because if you're not i've seen what it looks like when people decide they don't have time to leave that don't have time to clean i guarantee you I will always get some shit cleaned if I'm serving food to people. I don't want people... But retail, it makes absolutely no sense. It's just keeping your workers busy so you can get as much out of them as physically possible.
0: And getting as much of them as physically possible brings us to lean staffing. This capitalist idea of not necessarily understaffing a job, but staffing so close to understaffing that, let's say one person calls out sick, you know then everybody involved has to pick up that slack and i mean that that seems to be like kind of a duh idea you know well if someone's not there then obviously the other people need to pick up the job but in lean staffing it's so bad that you're already giving everybody exactly 8 hours of work to perform in exactly 8 hours so when that one person calls out sick or you know has a family emergency or just happens just doesn't want to go into work that day i mean th- there's nothing wrong against that um you have that eight hours of that person divvied out to the other people who are already working exactly eight hours of work. Between that and having people having to come in because of that situation, then you are, you're, you're capturing this, this leisure time that you, that the capitalists think that they're bestowing upon other people, upon their employees.
1: Um, just thinking about it. Like, in terms of the whole, between both of these factors, um, lean staffing and the if you got time to lean mentality, um, it does help point to the issue where, um, you have to excuse my words being bad because I'm high, how much of the value of your labor you, your boss is getting out of you if they're trying to squeeze every last penny it is like, okay, you know how much you're getting paid, you know you ain't getting paid enough for this shit. So how much is, you know, how much is the boss saving money by working, working me as hard as I am? And then you can kind of get an idea of how, uh, yeah, basically how much underpaid paid get work.
0: Well, yeah, and that's, that's kind of this idea of post-work theory. That when, you're, when you lessen the hours of work, you kind of have to necessarily increase the pay. Because it's not, it doesn't make sense if you drop you know someone who has to work 60 hours a week to make their ends meet down to 20 hours and be like, oh, look at all the leisure time you have, and then now they can't eat.
1: Well, is <clears throat> I feel like that might be a unique situation to the right now because of our legal – well, because of our laws on wages and full-time versus part-time, it actually costs less for an employer to – to have two part-time laborers for every full-time full-time laborer they would have otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. So they do that, and they keep it. Like again, we're going back to uh, SA, which is now Speedway, but you know, just gonna throw mad shade. They would, they will actually write you up if you get too many hours. Like it's a write-up.
0: Yeah, because uh, under the current system, you. If you are considered a full time employee, the the company has to offer you benefits, has to offer you PTO, health care. Well
1: and, and also, you know, like the pay rate's different. Like you earn mm. less you no, you don't earn less for per hour. You get paid less per hour if you're part time. You cost less to them. Yeah, you cost less at part time, so they just double their workforce and drop their pay by like 25 percent or something depending
2: i think it is kind of one of the limiting aspects of uh the way that uh labor reform has happened here that it has this very productivist uh, mindset of you only get these benefits if you work in this particular way and they're like trying to prescribe exactly the way that you're supposed to do work and when you do that and add extra burdens onto that to try to improve the condition of those workers, the capitalists don't care. They'll just like, okay, well, the line is forty hours, so we'll move you back to thirty-nine, or the line is thirty-two hours, so we'll move you back to thirty-one. They they just don't care. They'll just work around it. They don't care about your like whatever norms of what work is supposed to be. Uh, they just care about getting the productivity out of people.
0: And it's kind of. Yeah, that's kind of one of the biggest things that unions need to pivot from, is this conceptualization of producti- productive hours versus uh, work hours. Like, a lot of unions are arguing, well, full time workers can do this, but part time because they're kind of they're trying to compromise. But you you can't really be compromising with someone who wants to. You know, extract as as much labor for as little money as possible. Um, so laborers need to kind of pivot away from, well, we want the minimum wage to be this, to more of like, well, we need we need to have our wages tied directly to the productivity and profit margins of the company itself, and every worker needs to be offered benefits, not just full time workers, so that way. The capitalist has to make a decision whether either they go full automation and people revolt because they're they're out of all these jobs and they don't have a way to eat. Or they stop doing lean staffing or they stop doing, you know, trying to capture that very specific small amount of uh, unproductive hours that, that you're at work, right?
2: I think it's relevant to the bread book that uh, Kropotkin talks about uh, things like that where the um it's in the uh the fifth chapter i believe about uh food
1: um mm-hmm. let me just bring my notes up real quick can we address the fact that we are in fact calling it the bread book what's wrong with that it's always been called it's the bread else? book it's totally the bread book oh okay
0: it's always been called the bread book like that's not, not that's not something that we invented like people people on the left have been calling it the bread book probably since it's been written at least since i've heard about it it's been called the bread book But yeah, Kropotkin, this is very important to Kropotkin, this idea of, you know, not necessarily trying to capture the most amount of labor hours while you're at work, but creating productive work that is actually productive as opposed to pseudo-productive.
2: I read this, but I didn't actually have notes on it. Uh, But it was, while he was discussing, like, the alternatives of, um, like, national workshops and stuff like that, Uh, basically... I think it was actually about the collectivists. He wanted to, in rejecting collectivism, he was rejecting the idea that the rewards of labor should be tied specifically to labor. And yeah, that's basically p- part of the anti-productivist uh, attitude is just, no, you don't have to necessarily be productive or be a, a member of this particular group or be a, a complex laborer or or anything like that in order to actually uh, be justified in getting those benefits of it.
0: And, th- and that's kind of why a lot of post-work theorists kind of do argue for uh, something known as universal basic income, UBI. I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably know what UBI is, but just kind of give a brief re- uh, recap, it's this idea that um, the government, or some centralized force, uh, extracts the extracts a tax from the profit margins of these corporations and then di- redistributes it back out to the workers in mass, saying, "Hey, you're gonna get paid X amount of dollars every month, regardless of whether you work or not." And a lot of people kind of have uh, are either for or against it or even ambivalent to it because they, there are so many nuanced positions regarding UBI. Like, for example, I'm, I'm necessarily against it because of the fact that it is merely a band-aid, a, a mitigation technique to help propel capitalism forward from its, stump, from its dying lurches, and right? I'm kind of
1: for it because it eliminates the possibility of an employer manufacturing consent.
2: And I'm kind of ambivalent on it because I, I think that both of those points are right, but it really, really depends on what your priorities are, what you think is the bigger threat. Is it just immediately being uh, having consent effectively manufactured like that? Or is it that like in the long term, this system is going to perpetuate itself indefinitely by compensating for the inequalities that it naturally produces without actually fundamentally changing anything underneath that?
0: When it, when it comes down to when it comes down to it ubi is ultimately something that tie that it does untie people's livelihoods people's ability to live to their productive workforce right so if you're receiving a ubi if you're working in a job that you absolutely hate you can more easily just be like okay i'm done and leave and not have to worry about oh my gosh where is my next meal come from how am i going to pay rent
1: and that's that good shit, because then employers have to treat you as though you have you actually have the option of leaving like mm-hmm. if you treat me bad, I'm out
0: yeah, and I also think that that's kind of in a sense anti socialist and anti union mostly because like if you're ge- if you're mitigating you know the capitalist effects you're you're mitigating you're you're making it more individualist, not necessarily egoist in the sense of individualism, but more um egotistical, where, uh, where the worker is more worried about what is happening to them as opposed to the their co-workers. So if you have a UBI, unions kind of drop off the face of the map because, well, I don't need a union to fight for better pay and you know better benefits because I'll just, I'll just go somewhere else and find it there. I, mean,
1: I get that, and it makes a whole lot of sense. But here's the thing that I would say that this is a good thing, because Unions are great, but if UBI is so great as to, um, I don't know, I think it's a point in UBI's favor if people are choosing it over unions, because if that's the case, then we may have found something that's actually more effective than that. But you're still,
0: you're still giving the, the control of the workspaces over to the capitalists, right?
2: It preserves the unjust system while just fixing the imbalances that that injustice
1: creates. Actually, that might have a different effect because I'm thinking about it is like if everybody because everybody at a given job has the option, you know, under UBI, whether or not, you know, they'll just fucking leave it. And if the boss is, you know, a total douche canoe, it's not going to be just one person that leaves and the other people just stay there because it's not their problem. You know, everybody who can't tolerate the guy will stop working for him and his business will tank it does make striking more easy yeah so i mean mm-hmm. yeah no it makes striking fast almost a deadly and permanent
0: yeah it, it almost becomes the default whereas without a without a ubi without a union at least uh, union mitigating the cost of striking then you you can't necessarily strike as a first resort it becomes a last resort because then you have to worry about, oh, well, I'm not going to get paid while I'm striking. Whereas with the UBI or...
1: You need to eat. You need your bread.
0: Yeah. Whereas with a UBI or at least union-funded strikes, it, it becomes a lot easier to be like, well, I don't need to work anyways, so if I don't like where I'm working or I don't like the situation I'm working in, I can just be like, okay, I'm done. Bye. But I necessarily... I like my job. I just don't like the, the conditions.
1: Yeah. Under UBI, someone... Uh bad deal of job you can just not come in the next day maybe even see who else has decided fuck this you know let, let the phone ring
0: and and i do think that the ubi does does push for this post work idea because if you're if you're making if your ends are already met right if you're if your housing is paid for if your food is paid for if your medical is paid for then You don't have to work dead-end jobs. You don't have to work useless labor jobs because you just need to have an income. You have your income. Now you can focus on what you actually care about. You, You can actually make a difference in the field that you want to go into,
1: right? And now someone may say, but under UBI, nobody would work because they'd all have what they need and so it'd stop our productive forces, to which I'd say... Maybe. Or maybe they, you know, choose to work because they can live on something more than just basic income.
2: Well, Kropotkin goes over something like this in the book also. We we're talking about, like, the uh, the Russian peasant who works 16 hours to get uh, nine months worth of food for a year. Uh, once you lift, lift that burden off them and they realize that they don't have to, uh, like, th- they no, no longer have to pay for everybody is stealing from them, they won't have any reason to work so hard as to make more than they themselves need. And that would mean less of the uh, peasant uh, crop going into the cities where there's hungry people that need it. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like it. Kropotkin recognizes that this is a possibility in a situation that is even more extreme than UBI. So it's not like it's an unrealistic or like new idea that people might work less if you give them free stuff or at least lift burdens off of them that have been artificially imposed
1: well i mean we built a society without those uh um costs or without those burdens imposed on humanity i think we can still uh go upwards without them
0: and before nature's oppressive arguments
1: i guess (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, because there's this there's this big kind of one of the biggest arguments against uh, the anti-work movement is people arguing that because the post-work argument is necessarily, hey, I shouldn't have to work to survive, kind of an anti-capitalist thing, right? Um, well, the, the anti the argument against it is well, you have to you have to forage for food and hunt for food if you without civilization so I guess you think nature's oppressive too and it's like that that's not necessarily what is being said it's in nature yeah you're gonna have to work to eat but we're discussing solely in post work the the useless labor
1: yeah, I'm just saying the,
0: the bloat a bureaucracy.
2: we're not just discussing the useless labor because it's not about labor it's about work and also
1: who fucking mm-hmm. brought up labor come on now
0: yeah and even Kropotkin even talks about the the bloat of um, the blood of bureaucracies actually effectively killing revolutions.
1: many times. Because a lot. He, he goes <clears throat> at length about it
0: because he, he goes on about how you know when it comes down to you know in a revolution how how do you distribute the food a bureaucracy would sit there and waste months and months to be like well what do we think is the right thing and they'll they'll compile lists and they'll compile.
2: Um, Larek reports for so long that the revolution dies
0: or literally and metaphysically and post-work kind of moves towards this in the sense that well if we have if we get rid of this excessive bloat and we refuse to do the bureaucratic things just like Kropotkin said if we just go to the people and ask what they need we can more easily provide for them than creating a committee that's so far removed that they don't even know what's going on and what is needed
2: yeah it's like i said that the thing about hierarchies and the corruption of information flowing through them and the corruption of commands coming down through them that the bureaucracies are subject to that a bit as much as uh private corporations are
0: so to kind of um i guess we're kind of wrapping up here because we kind of went over most of how it uh, what post work is and how it affects um the 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 movement towards an- anarchist communism um
1: already at the end of this holy shit it's it's we're at like 42 oh, minutes damn. i mean damn
0: i mean do you have another do you have another couple of topics to kind of discuss because this wasn't really like a detail i don't
1: know i mean a lot of these things just tend to do that they kind of spiral in on each other and there's always there's always more to be said and mm-hmm. the time kind of flew i don't have a good sense of time right now
2: yeah this topic lends itself to um tangents also as i'm sure we've experienced today
0: I mean, I guess the the I guess the biggest, the biggest thing that I do want to bring up before we discuss is um the 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 rising of wages in a post work system, um because if you if you're working less hours, you need a way to kind of keep the costs up. Even with the UBI, you still need to find a way to make people be paid more for their labor because nobody's going to be working for twenty five cents an hour. That People just look at you and laugh, be like, "Well, what's that? Buy me a pack
2: of gum?
1: Like buy a jawbreakers, Eddie? Yeah, (laughs) right." God, these kids had like the hardest time putting together twenty five cents.
0: It's because they were kids, you know. What do you expect? They they thought twenty five cents was the world. That's all they needed was a jawbreaker. And can you imagine if that how that was how our actual how our post work system was? You know you everything else is paid for but you know you want a job worker you gotta you gotta work hard for it man you know you gotta work 16 hours uh, 16 hours a day just to get that 25 cents you don't even know if you're gonna get it no gross
1: i feel like that's what labor is if you organize your shit or like if like that's what a job is if you do your job planning while high as shit <laughs>
0: You don't get anything done, so you ultimately just kind of putter out.
1: Like, you you work hard, but you're doing nothing. And mm-hmm. it's not because of any policies. It's because you planned, because you thought you were going to or- sort out what you're going to do in an altered state.
0: Oh, I do want to discuss, um, before, we, before we kind of wrap everything up, uh, the Protestant work ethic. Um, I don't think we actually discussed it, the, the idea that your your life doesn't really have value unless you are producing something.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Spooky. Yeah. Wait, what did you call um,
0: it? And that kind of, that's kind of another thing that the post-work theory is against, because in our current system, you know, we have this, you know, metaphysical stigma about against people just lying about. Like, you, you, even, discuss, you even mentioned it earlier, Card, and people are like, well, if we just pay them if we just pay them um, a UBI, then they're not going to want to work. Well, what's wrong with not wanting to work? There, there's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to working. Not working, right?
1: I mean, there is a, there's a slight problem of eventually someone has to do something in order to make something happen. Um, so there, there, there's jobs that need to be done, but the thing is a lot of these jobs anyone could do well and
0: that kind of lends itself to the question against the anarchist perspective which we have all heard who's going to build the roads if you don't have a state who's going to build the roads and it's like well necessarily somebody will because they're going to need it and they're like oh well this is a good idea like even in the capitalist system nobody sat down and was like I'm going to invent the phone the cell phone because we we ne- I'm being paid to do that no people were sitting around and being like hey you'd be really fucking cool if you could contact
1: is if I could call someone from my fucking pocket.
0: Yeah, that'd be super fucking cool. Oh, and and what if we could play music from
1: Whoa, oh God, music anywhere? Anywhere. But, like, but yeah, of your own, so you, So maybe like a big sound system that you carry over your shoulder, right?
0: No, we're talking like a small rectangle that fits in your pocket.
1: A small rectangle? But you gotta hook it up to like big powerful speakers so you can play it, right?
0: No, the speakers are in the phone but yeah well,
1: like okay i went too far you, you don't that, have sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you don't you don't have you don't have um people that just sit around and do nothing all day i mean yeah you'll you'll have like a rare a small amount of people but people like to feel productive, like
1: if nothing else it gives them something to do in the day yeah
0: i mean people don't want to just laser about all day i mean yeah there are some but the majority of people aren't going to want to laser about all day so even even if you know
1: and also if we accept the existence of um, markets in socialism or communism, which markets will happen, then the mm-hmm. incentive to work suddenly becomes, well, I can live on this basic income and it will you know it will keep me afloat but I could get a little mm-hmm. extra like if we have markets, then we have incentive just because people can, they know they won't fall through the fucking bottom, but they know they can also raise themselves up a little.
2: Yeah, I think ultimately self-actualization motivation is going to be enough to get people to continue to do productive things or expand their ability to get the things that they want. Uh, but it's not like we just want idleness all the time. I mean, when you work for 40 hours or 60 hours because you have two jobs and they're both part-time, then yeah, you want all the relaxation time you can get, but like, if you don't need to, and you just want to pursue, because like I want to try growing a garden okay just you can just go and do that and learn how to do it, and you'll be producing food in the process or flowers or mm-hmm. something
1: and I want, I, I just want the assurance that, you know my boss won't be an abusive asshole And if I have the option of walking right out whenever I feel like it, he can't do that. Mm -hmm.
0: Now I do want to do also want to highlight the kind of the negatives of post-work theory, um, at least in terms of the uh, automation side, Um, because if you don't necessarily get rid of the current oppressive system, the automation will become useless even with the UBI, because. If jobs drop from you know let's say ninety five percent of the populace to forty percent of the populace because we push for automation and we push for this UBI, then yeah, you will have people that still are trying to self actualize, but you you're not necessarily sure that that self actualization will generate any kind of materialistic materialist uh, ends, right? Like you could sit there and grow that garden, but if if all you're doing is growing flowers, then, yeah, that's great, but you're not necessarily going to... I don't know, I'm kind of... I guess I... (laughs) The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, well, I guess there isn't really a bad thing against post-work theory.
2: I mean, the only thing there is that it's not as productive, and, oh no, it's not as productive. Uh, I mean, people who want... People who need things will figure out ways to arrange to have them produced if they're not excluded by, like property law from using the tools that they need um i mean it it, it's a self-regulating system in that regard you don't have to like put artificial impositions on it to get people to do productive things you don't need to have some like protestant work ethic where it's just normatively a good thing to be productive for productivity's sake you just don't need Mm. that because productivity serves it The ends that it serves as well as it's going to.
1: We've gotten past that point in our society today. Like, as a species, it's we're not in the savage past anymore. No. And we've also reached a
0: point where productivity has been increasing, but we're also reaching a plateau where productivity can only increase so much, where you might as well move to automation because anything... Past autom- anything past their current yeah. productivity rates will be effectively automation.
2: I don't know about that because there's a lot of things that we can do that, like, they, t- they take a person doing them, that like, we aren't doing because we can't sell them that are still productive and valuable and that people uh, would like to have. I mean, like, I've I, been annoyed that I don't own the place that I live uh, and I never have. Uh, but there's so many things I would like to improve about the houses that I've been living in or the apartments I've been living in that I can't because it's not even mine, and that would take work to do. And even if if I'm like in between doing productive work that directly helps other people, there's things that I want to do that are productive and make value for whatever building I'm in. Yeah, people like beauty. Yeah, beauty and functionality. I mean, I, and modern buildings are so bland. So I get.
1: I'm kind of making a living doing um. Uh, the commission works, so you know, people definitely...
0: Brutalism when? What? Talk, talking about how what, what, uh, what Zulikath said about having everything just kind of be bland. I said, brutalism when?
1: People don't like brutalism in their architecture, but they'll take it in their products. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. So, kind of, let's just just kind of wrap up since we're cl- closing in on that, that hour here. Um, post-work theory is kind of I, I, I want to say it's, it was informed by the breadbrook at the very least, uh, if not directly, then at least indirectly, because we do see a lot of uh, parallels in what Kropotkin, has been, what Kropotkin is going to be talking about in the next couple of ap- chapters that we're going to cover um, in terms of food, shelter, and clothing, and how we need to stop worrying about being productive for productivity's sake, but rather be productive because we, we want to be, or because we... Because it serves want, our needs. ...we have needs that need to be filled. Yep. Uh, you guys didn't have any closing thoughts before we go ahead and close out this episode?
2: Uh, just the, I noticed that uh, post-work and uh, post-left tend to go together remarkably well. It seems like some of the popular post-work people are post-left, and they're also very uh, close to egoism. Uh, they uh, apply that quite a bit. And it just seems like a lot of the uh, post-work theory is based around rejecting the norm of productivity as a spook. And just recognizing that this isn't a thing that we need for its own sake, and it's just to serve our actual ends. And when you apply that, post-work becomes pretty much obvious.
1: It's really weird because the productivity for productivity's sake kind of reminds me of... uh... Sort of manifest destiny, actually, that sort of expand or die mentality.
0: Alright, well, I have to get going, guys. Um, today has been great. Oh, yeah? Yep. I, I think this is a good little one off that we can do. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, please like us, subscribe, and donate to our Patreon if we ever get any of that stuff set up.
1: <laughs> yeah, do any of those things. Alright, All right. thank you so much. Do you want me? Do you